0: What's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. The Durham report shows massive failures in the FBI's probe of former President Trump's campaign. So what can be done about it? We hear from an investigative journalist. Illegal immigrants who assault police officers could face automatic deportation if a new bill passes. That's just one bill a House panel is advancing. Find out about the rest facial recognition technology at American airports. The TSA is currently testing a new program, which may become mandatory. Many are voicing concerns. Pennsylvania and Kentucky are both currently holding primary elections. The outcome could hint at what to expect during next year's nationwide general election. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is on special counsel John Durham's report. It concluded that there were massive failures in the FBI's investigation of former President Trump's campaign. We'll hear some analysis on the significance of this and what concerns it raises for the upcoming presidential election. Joining me now is Lee Smith, columnist and author of The Plot Against the President. It's great to have you with us, Lee. Hey Kevin, thank you very much for inviting me on today. John Durham's report says the FBI did not interview the people connected with the information that the bureau used to investigate the Trump campaign. If that's true, why not? I mean, this is an investigation bureau. Don't they conduct interviews as part of their standard operating procedure?
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, however, this is not a real report. This is, that's um, uh, cover up, uh, frankly, uh, or as, as other people and it's a way to, sh- to, uh, to way to shut the book. So all of this hubbub is all over, and uh, the right can stop complaining about FBI and deep state corruption and whatever the nonsense the right complains about, and they can tell the you know, uh, former President Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago to, uh, to quit moaning about it because we've looked into it and it's over, and here's what we found. So everyone can go home, Trust the FBI. Trust the Department of Justice. Trust the CIA. Don't worry about it. Shut up. That's what it is. That's the Durham Report.
0: After this Trump-Russia collusion hoax was debunked, many people are looking for concrete steps. Here, is there anything that's going to happen? Reform? Legal nothing. sense?
1: Nothing. The the, the the report
0: explains in different ways why there was no
1: way to why um there was nothing that uh, made them criminally liable. Um, you know, sure, they're uh, incompetence and and maybe they missed some steps and stuff like that. But, you know, there's no criminal case against them, according to the Durham report. And as for reform, according to the Durham report, and not just to the report, but the way it's blasting it out on social media, it's like, yeah, a lot of the necessary reforms have already been implemented uh, by the FBI under Christopher Wray. So don't worry, your FBI, your Department of Justice are on it. So no, nothing will come of this. No reform, no reform, never mind indictments.
0: So, Lee, you've been following this very closely. Incompetence, I mean, the FBI, it's a major branch of the government. And, you know, if a doctor commits, you know, malpractice, then there's going to be ramifications. But if the FBI is incompetent, shouldn't there be something that happens in your view? Well, I, I mean, they set it up from the beginning so that if they ever got
1: caught, they would be... Uh, they would be accused of being incompetent, right? Because being incompetent is better than being criminally liable. That's how they set it up from the outset. This was intentional. So this is what's happened. It's reached its conclusion now, right? It's like, hey, we didn't do anything um, criminally bad. We, sure, okay, we missed a few things. W- what do you want? We're human, like everyone else. So that's how it was set up. So no, there will be no consequences. No one will pay any consequences Um,
0: in a court of law or under the U.S. justice system, at least not now. So you mentioned that this brought this to a conclusion, but really what happens next year? I mean, anything in terms of the election that's coming up
1: I mean the FBI as we understand from uh, as we understand from the twitter files has interfered in at least two of the two of our last presidential elections in 2016 by working on uh, the Clinton campaign's behalf to frame Donald Trump as a Russian spy and in order to spy on his campaign. And, and in 2020, we saw what happened with everything from uh, censoring information on social media, censoring reports of Hunter Biden's laptop. The CIA then put together a letter. Remember, 50, uh, of those 51 former intelligence officials who signed the, 50, the famous 51 spies letter, 42 of these people were from the CIA. It's a CIA letter. FBI and the CIA have uh, collaborated to interfere in the last two elections. What can we count on going forward? We can count on the FBI and the CIA collaborating once again to try to uh, interfere in an American presidential election. That's for certain.
0: A lot of people want some answers here. Lee Smith, author and columnist, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much, Kevin.
0: Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani has been accused of sexual assault, abuse of power, and other misconduct by a former employee. That's according to a lawsuit filed yesterday. The plaintiff is Noel Dunphy, allegedly a former director of business development for a number of Giuliani-owned companies. The lawsuit states Dunphy began working for Giuliani in 2019. Dunphy claims that Giuliani hired her to pursue a sexual relationship. She alleges he began abusing her almost immediately after she started working for him. Dunphy is seeking $10 million in compensation. Giuliani's communications advisor says Giuliani unequivocally denies the allegations. A separate statement called the lawsuit pure harassment and an attempt at extortion. A House panel approved three bills to kick off National Police Week yesterday. Committee members voted along party lines. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the legislation.
2: The bills will now go to the House floor. The legislation makes illegal immigrants who assault police automatically subject to deportation. It also allows federal law enforcement officers to purchase their service weapons when the guns are retired, and expresses support for local law enforcement while condemning efforts to defund or dismantle police departments. House Rules Committee Chairman Tom Cole opened the hearing. Those who serve uh, as our front line of defense against crime should be equally protected. Congressman James McGovern called out Republicans for having what he sees as a
3: double standard. The new Republican position, as set forth by the Speaker of the House, is that they want to give George Santos due process before they kick him out, but they want to deport legal immigrants who haven't even been charged with a crime.
2: The Democrat says it's actually Republicans who want to defund the police after accusing Democrats of not supporting them.
3: This month, the GOP passed a bill that cuts funding for local law enforcement.
2: Representative Andy Bigg stated that at least 64 law enforcement officers were shot and killed in the line of duty in both 2021 and 2022, 21 percent more than the average number of officers killed by gunfire from 2010 to 2020.
3: To make matters worse, many of those incidents involve criminal aliens who take advantage of our immigration system and then turn around and assault the very people who protect us every day. House
2: Speaker Kevin McCarthy decried a violent attack on a Democratic House lawmaker's office. A man with a baseball bat reportedly walked into Representative Jerry Connolly's office, asked for him, and then proceeded to strike two of his workers. The assault injured a congressional staffer and an intern. Police say a suspect is in custody. The victims are being treated for non-life-threatening injuries. We are all praying for the quick recovery for the staffers injured and grateful for the quick actions of the law enforcement uh, who apprehended the suspect. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden cancelled his speech for National Police Week. It was to be given in honor of police officers killed in the line of duty.
4: Being an officer isn't just what you do, it's who you are. You serve, protect, defend, and represent the
2: best in all of us. The President allegedly dropped out of the event to travel to his granddaughter Maisie Biden's graduation from the University of Pennsylvania. Maisie is the youngest child of Hunter Biden and his ex-wife Kathleen. Biden and First Lady Jill Biden later shared a hug with Maisie, who went to greet them in the stands at the conclusion of the ceremony. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: About 20 homeless combat veterans believe they had to leave their lodgings to make room for illegal immigrants. They were temporarily housed in an Orange County, New York hotel. That's according to the Orange County executive and a spokesperson for a local nonprofit. The veterans were staying at the Crossroads Hotel in Newburgh, but a New York City Hall spokesperson said their office was told no veteran in Newburgh was pushed out of a room they had reserved because of the Asylum Seeker program. The spokesperson said each of the veterans finished their reservation as planned, but after starting the program last week, some veterans wanted to extend their stays. The spokesperson said, "Because of capacity issues, the hotel couldn't accommodate them, so they gave them a $250 credit at another hotel nearby." Orange County's executive weighed in on Monday.
5: These veterans were under um, a nonprofit; they they weren't directly under my care. They were under a nonprofit called YIT, and that's they were given the boot. They were they were since placed at another hotel. So I don't think. Do I think the city meant to push them out of here? No. But did they want to occupy as many rooms as they could? Yeah. And in the meantime, did they disrupt a lot of people's lives? Yes.
0: Newburgh City Hall notes the veterans were not identified as veterans when their reservations were made. The TSA is testing the use of facial recognition technology at a handful of airports across the country. However, many are expressing concerns regarding privacy and civil liberties. Here are the details.
6: The Transportation Safety Administration says facial recognition technology is an effort to more accurately identify the millions of passengers traveling through its airports every day. So what we are trying to do with this is aid the officers to actually determine that you are who you say you are. Travelers put their driver's license or passport into a slot that reads the card or their passport photo. Then the traveler looks at a camera on a screen, which captures an image of the traveler and compares it to the ID. The technology is both checking to make sure the person at the airport matches the ID they present and that the identification is in fact real.
7: The camera is not scanning. It's not constantly scanning for people. It's off until you actually insert the scan, right? We call that active capture. It's actually privacy-enhancing technology so that we're not surveilling the space.
6: However, lawmakers don't seem to believe that. In February, a group of Democrat senators wrote a letter to the TSA administrator. They asked that the agency immediately halt deployment of the program, writing, Increasing biometric surveillance of Americans by the government represents a risk to civil liberties and privacy rights. The use of facial recognition technology still has flaws and sometimes results in people being arrested for crimes they did not commit. A Georgia man was held in jail for almost a week in late November after the system incorrectly matched him with the face of a suspect who had allegedly committed a robbery in New Orleans. The victim of this error had never even visited Louisiana. Jeremy Scott with the Electronic Privacy Information Center said that while use of such technology is voluntary now, it might not be for long.
4: I mean, it's not. We've seen this before where something that's optional becomes essentially mandatory. And the head of TSA recently said, yes, you can. it's optional now, but it will be mandated in the future."
6: Many are calling for outside audits to verify that the technology isn't disproportionately affecting certain groups and that the images are deleted immediately.
0: Elections in Kentucky and Pennsylvania today could send early signals about the mood of voters ahead of next year's races for the White House and Congress. Kentucky is choosing party nominees for governor and secretary of state, along with a few other races. Pennsylvania voters have 145 races to vote on, including special legislative contests, a crowded Philadelphia mayor's race, and primaries for a state Supreme Court seat. The winner of the Kentucky governor's primary race could set up a bruising general election contest. Republican voters will settle on a nominee to challenge incumbent Democratic Governor Andy Bashir. Two candidates with ties to former President Trump are contenders in a 12-candidate field. The Philadelphia Inquirer is in the midst of the most significant disruption to its operations in 27 years. The newspaper says it's the victim of a cyber attack. The company is working to restore print operations after the attack prevented printing of the Sunday edition. The newspaper's website is still working, but updates are slower. The inquirer's publisher said she is unable to provide an exact timeline for full restoration of the paper systems. The attack was first detected on Saturday morning. That's when employees found the newspaper's content management system not working. The paper says the attack is the largest disruption to publication since a massive blizzard in January 1996. The company has contacted the FBI. The Supreme Court announced yesterday that it will hear a case to determine whether South Carolina's congressional districts need to be redrawn. The main question is whether Republican lawmakers discriminated against black voters. Entities Arlene Richards reports.
8: In its latest order list, the Supreme Court agreed on Monday to hear a case examining whether South Carolina's congressional map discriminates against black voters in Charleston County. The case, Alexander v. South Carolina State Conference of the NAACP, was brought to the highest court after a panel of three federal judges, all appointed by Democrats, ruled that race was the predominant motivating factor in the General Assembly's design of Congressional District Number 1. The Republican District runs along much of South Carolina's coast and is currently represented by Republican Representative Nancy Mace. The panel further found that to achieve a target of 17% African-American population in Congressional District Number 1, Charleston County was racially gerrymandered and over 30,000 African-Americans were removed from their home district. According to the Epoch Times, gerrymandering can mean unusually shaped districts, or it can refer to an excessive effort to protect the state's dominant political party. It can play out in a variety of ways, including varying the population of districts just enough for the party in power to get an extra seat out of the process. In court papers, Republican lawmakers have asked the court to consider a number of arguments, including whether or not the lower court should have analyzed District 1's compliance with traditional districting principles. A legal group representing the South Carolina NAACP said, The lower court reached its decision by applying firmly rooted Supreme Court precedent to well-supported factual findings. Now that the case is on appeal, we expect that the Supreme Court will follow a similar path and affirm. The case is expected to be argued before the Supreme Court in the fall. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
0: In other news, the U.S. government is considering creating a free tax filing system. This week, the Internal Revenue Service is set to release a report on the feasibility of such a system. It looked at whether the IRS could create a service to prepare and submit taxes directly to the government at no cost. The system would be funded by the $80 billion the agency received from the Inflation Reduction Act. But it is facing backlash from business groups who fear this would diminish companies like H&R Block and TurboTax. Republicans also argue the plan would give the IRS even more power over ordinary taxpayers. President Biden will meet with the top four congressional leaders on the debt ceiling this afternoon. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen confirms again the June 1st date. Here's more.
4: Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen confirmed again that June 1st could be when the U.S. government defaults if the debt limit isn't raised. In a letter to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, she said the date is based on estimates with currently available data. But it's worth pointing out that despite Yellen's reconfirmation, June 1st may not actually be the absolute date before the U.S. has to raise the debt ceiling, as veteran financial advisor and founder of Midland Financial, Lawrence Sprung, points out.
3: Well, I mean, that X date is really a moving target, right? We don't really know what it is. We're estimating that it's going to be June 1st. But I've seen reports, depending upon the uh, receipts of the government and the expenditures of the government, that uh, date could be as as late as mid-July. So, you know, I don't know if June 1st is really as accurate as we're being told, because I don't think there's any way to say that that's the date.
4: The federal budget has two parts, mandatory spending, such as Social Security benefits, and discretionary spending. The U.S. government could potentially use extraordinary measures to reduce its discretionary spending to meet its financial obligations. The U.S. could also print more money. It's just a question of whether it wants to do that. However, putting things into perspective, the U.S. has frequent debt ceiling debates and has never actually defaulted on its debt. It's raised its debt ceiling dozens of times in history.
3: I'm not too worried. I mean, I I don't think we're going to end up coming to that point. Uh, Since Eisenhower's presidency, we've raised the debt ceiling 89 times. And if you look back even in history, uh, President Biden has only raised the ceiling twice, which is the least of any president.
4: And it seems like financial markets aren't worried about the U.S. defaulting on its debt either. Here's chief strategist at Mill Street Research, Sam Burns.
8: Yeah,
1: that's right. I think the markets, so far at least, are mostly taking that view that every time it looks like they've you know had a big kind of debate or crisis uh, that it got worked out at the last minute, and if the, the you know the payments were made on the debt, then there was no actual default. And of course, it is a manufactured crisis because there is no actual you know, limitation on the ability of the, of the Treasury to, to, to you know, pay its
4: bills. Even though it's unlikely the U.S. will have an actual default on its debt, it is possible that it may be late on its payments for a few days.
3: That's
1: right. There is a scenario where there's delays in payment uh, on certain uh, you know, Treasury bills and, and bonds and things, but that they get paid back you know, a week later or whatever the case may be, uh, sometime shortly thereafter. Um, my guess is that if that happened, the markets would respond you know, pretty negatively.
4: Meanwhile, tax collections for the current fiscal year through April fell $250 billion short of predictions by the Congressional Budget Office. This is something that officials will have to consider. Biden, McCarthy, and congressional leaders are expected to meet later today.
0: President Biden has announced who he plans to nominate to be the next director of the National Institutes of Health. The last director stepped down back in December 2021 after 12 years in the role. Biden wants to nominate cancer specialist Dr. Monica Bertinelli, who last year became director of the National Cancer Institute. Prior to that role, she served as a professor of surgery specializing in surgical oncology at Harvard Medical School. The NIH is one of the world's foremost biomedical research institutions. Biden said as director of the National Cancer Institute, Brittonelli advanced Biden's agenda to end cancer as we know it. The issue of cancer research is one that Biden campaigned on. California is dumping tons of toxic waste in other states every year. The state touts itself as eco-friendly, but it takes advantage of states with less environmental regulations and cheaper costs for dumping. Since 2010, California has dumped nearly half of its hazardous waste out of state, mostly in Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. Thirteen more states have received California's toxic waste, but in much lower quantities. An investigation published by Cal Matters in January found one of the biggest out-of-state toxic waste dumpers was the state's own Department of Toxic Substances Control. A spokesperson for the agency says waste is managed in a responsible way that includes out-of-state facilities. Two of the state's most favored locations to dump the waste are in landfills near Native American reservations in western Arizona. One of these landfills has a history of violating state regulations. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar says California should keep its waste. He says he'll ask the attorney general to see if laws are being broken. A woman is accused of pretending to be pregnant and hiding cocaine in a fake belly. The Anderson County, South Carolina Sheriff's Office posted a photo of a deputy posing with the rubber prosthetic belly. During a traffic stop on Interstate 85, deputies got suspicious when a couple gave conflicting information about her due date. Deputies say the woman took off running and drugs fell out of the fake rubber belly. In all, deputies found 1,500 grams of cocaine. That's more than three pounds. Both people are charged with cocaine trafficking. And after the break, Chinese spies are actively carrying out their operations in Belgium. Find out what's in the latest intelligence report from Belgium's security agency. Jobs are drying up for college graduates in China. Young job seekers say they're on the verge of giving up. We'll have the details for you when we come back. Welcome back. TikTok is back in the spotlight. We delve into a new survey with some pretty disturbing findings. And we hear from an expert what's the platform's impact on young developing minds? Joining me now is Dr. Dean Beckloff, licensed professional counselor. Thank you so much for making the time today, Dr. Beckloff. Sure thing. Glad to be here now there are numerous concerns surrounding TikTok. one is data privacy and then all their concerns are from parents who are worried that this app may cause dangerous content to be fed to their kids for example a survey made a couple of these fake 13 year old accounts and it found that they were just overrun with these videos with topics on suicide eating disorders self-harm and body image should parents be worried about this
9: i think so i think it is a concern NOW, YOU KNOW, I HAVE GOOD HOPE, TOO, I'LL TELL YOU THAT, BUT uh, I HAVE SOME CONCERNS ABOUT WHAT'S GOING ON LIKE ANY ADULT HAS AND ANY any PARENT HAS. Uh, PEOPLE ARE CONCERNED ABOUT WHAT'S BEING FED TO THEIR KIDS. WE KNOW THAT SINCE COVID, TEEN MENTAL HEALTH ISSUES HAVE RISEN DRAMATICALLY and, of course, our, we first thought, of course, that must be COVID. And we have to believe that when teens and kids have been isolated in their homes, uh, they probably did turn to TikTok and a few other things. So uh, we've got probably a number of different reasons why we're having a increase in mental health uh, issues. I've I've seen it in my practice. I mean, a lot stronger mental health issues with hospitalizations and uh suicide thoughts and kids actually doing that as you've well heard, I'm sure, in the news.
0: Tell us a little bit more about your practice. Do you have people coming in who are explaining their lifestyle to you and that these social medias are a common theme?
9: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Yes, it's a common theme. And then I I still think we're reverberating from the social isolation that happened during COVID. So I think we've got a mix of problems and issues but you said it so well um th- especially tiktok we're understanding that kids are being fed the 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 tiktok videos that are about depression with that comes major anxiety with that comes uh thoughts of self harm and then of course thoughts of suicide so when they're being impacted with that at a very young age and I KNOW uh, MY 16-YEAR-OLD WOULD NOT HAVE WANTED TO KNOW THAT SHE WAS YOUNG, BUT THOSE ARE YOUNG AGES. WE KNOW THAT NOW THAT THE BRAIN DOES NOT uh, FULLY ATTAIN ITS GROWTH UNTIL ABOUT 25 OR EVEN LATER. SO uh, THESE ARE KIDS GROWING, AND IT'S ALREADY A STRUGGLE. OUR TEENS ARE VULNERABLE, I THINK, BECAUSE THE BRAIN IS GROWING SO RAPIDLY, AND THEN THEY'RE EVEN vul- I MEAN, ALL PEOPLE ARE VULNERABLE. WE, we WOULDN'T HAVE advertising if we wouldn't, couldn't be influenced. Now, if you do advertising, your advertising is fine. Everybody else's is bad, but yours is good here. But advertising is there because we can be influenced. And so kids are even more highly influenced when they're being impacted with those kinds of videos than, ah, we got a problem.
0: Counselor Dr. Dean Beckloff, really good speaking with you on this very important issue.
9: I'm glad to be here.
0: On to the Chinese regime. An intelligence report from Belgium is causing concern. It says that Chinese spies are extremely active in the European nation. Here are the details.
7: A recent government report by the Belgian VSSE Security Service found that spies for the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, are extremely active in the country. Belgium is not only a U.S. ally but also the de facto capital of the European Union. The report assesses security threats that Belgium faces and it lists Chinese spies as one of them, alongside threats from terrorism and the war in Ukraine. The report says to represent its interests, China also continues to use a very broad spectrum of techniques to spread its influence, employed overtly or covertly in a gray zone between lobbying, interference, political influence, espionage, economic blackmail, and disinformation campaigns, between which the boundary is often vague. The Belgian agency notes that the CCP doesn't rely just on traditional spies to carry out its operations. Oftentimes it uses private citizens, Chinese businesses, state media, and lobbyists. The agency concluded, with the presence of a large number of major international institutions, Belgium is a very attractive target for Chinese espionage and influence peddling.
0: Young job seekers in China are struggling to find work. Many say they're now at their breaking point. The country's job market struggles come months after China lifted its strict pandemic restrictions and reopened its borders. Here's the story.
6: I went through almost 50 interviews after graduation. Some were just internships. The employers wouldn't pay anything. I graduated from college in June 2022. From last June to this April, I didn't get one single job offer.
5: Beijing's pandemic controls and crackdown on the private sector are weighing on the world's second largest economy. Jobs are drying up, in particular for young Chinese. In March, the unemployment rate for 16 to 24-year-olds hit about 20%, the second highest on record. The peak came in July of last year. In a video posted on social media, a young woman says a friend of hers graduated from Berkeley with a master's degree, but hadn't been able to find a job in China for four months. She added that another of her friends was looking to hire a barista for his cafe. He offered less than $900 per month for a six-day work week.
6: Over a dozen applications came in the first day the job was posted. All applicants were college graduates. Thirty percent
5: have studied abroad. Authorities are shifting the blame to jobless graduates, urging them to put aside their career aspirations and take low-skilled jobs. But parents are reluctant, given the high cost of a college education. Meanwhile, the disillusioned young adults are losing confidence.
6: I came to this electronics factory after graduation half a month ago. My job is simply to drive screws. I often doubt that it's worth coming here. I tried 5,000 companies, but only got a few interviews. Layoffs and failed interviews drove me to self-denial and drained my motivation. The pressure that came over me kept me awake all night long.
5: With this year's graduation season fast approaching, more than 10 million college students are entering China's job market. That figure, plus one million overseas graduates coming back home for opportunities.
0: An insider's view from someone who experienced China's strict pandemic lockdown policy firsthand. A Chinese entrepreneur tells us how China's economic recovery is faring with three years of pandemic control behind it. Here's more.
5: From tourism, trading, and catering to real estate and rubber product exports, Mengjun's business footprint spans southern China with an annual turnover of tens of millions of dollars. But it all came to a halt when the pandemic lockdown took over the country.
7: I came to the United States last year. Since July 2021, basically there has been no work available for my employees.
5: Meng started laying off staff and clearing out goods at half price. But no one was buying because the consumers were facing the same plight.
10: I know some companies in our industrial zone
7: were more burdened with debt than I was. Some owners suffered from depression and even committed suicide.
5: Things didn't turn around when the Zero COVID-19 policy ended. Meng said a friend of his owned a plant making decorative materials. Before the pandemic, the friend heeded the regime's call to scale up production capacity. Now, the real estate slump is taking a major toll on his business.
10: Policies
7: like lower interest rates or purchase incentives are all lies. My friend's products are still piling up.
10: Real estate hasn't recovered at all,
7: as the Chinese Communist Party claims it has. The factories aren't even operating at 10% of what they used to be.
5: Another friend of Meng's ran a wholesale clothing business. During the pandemic, unsold stockpiles and rent payments cost him his entire savings.
10: Since the lockdown
5: lifted, my
10: friend said
7: his business hasn't even regained 20 percent of its previous revenue, not even 20 percent. How's
5: the economy likely to recover like this? Meng said Chinese consumers aren't opening their wallets due to fears like uncertainty and looming unemployment.
7: Everyone feels insecure in this situation. No one trusts the Communist Party anymore. The party just acts on its own whims
5: and doesn't keep its word. Official data shows a drop in China's manufacturing activity in April, with the property sector still floundering and exports fading.
0: The jobless rate is soaring among young people in China. In urban cities, one in five young people are out of work, and it's even worse in rural areas. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, the French government takes heat for banning demonstrations. Is it a violation of the right to protest? We'll hear from a police union spokesperson to find out more. European Parliament lawmakers agree to advance rules regulating artificial intelligence tools such as ChatGPT. We'll have more for you shortly here on NTD News Today. The CIA has launched a video campaign on YouTube urging Russians to make contact and share key information with the U.S. This video shows Russians contemplating major decisions. A male voice talks about the value of heroism and endurance. The text in the video says the agency wants to hear from military officers, intelligence experts, diplomats, scientists, and people with information about Russia's economy and its leadership. It also provides a secure internet channel for getting in touch. At the same time, Moscow has put potential informers on high alert. Parliament voted last month to raise the penalty for treason from 20 years to life in prison. In France, legal experts and politicians are criticizing the French government for banning demonstrations. They call it a violation of the right to protest. While the interior minister argues these bans should prevent violent acts, we hear from a police union spokesperson who says the government is actually trying to silence the opposition in the streets. today's France correspondent David Vives has the report.
10: The French government is increasingly banning protests and other gatherings in the country. Officially, the move is designed to prevent outbursts of violence that marred many demonstrations in France over the previous months. Two groups planned to gather this Sunday in the French capital for the annual celebration of iconic medieval figure Joan of Arc. But the Interior Ministry decided to ban this gathering of groups he called far-right. Some legal experts deem such bans illegal, saying they infringe on the right to peacefully assemble. Police union France Police Bruno Attal says the government shouldn't target groups based on their political beliefs.
11: When you talk about far right, you can't ban a demonstration because groups are far right or far left. It can only be banned on the basis of constitutional facts that, for example, there will be a disturbance of public order.
10: Lawmakers of President Macron's party initiated an investigation to identify the individuals or groups behind the violence during recent protests. Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin this week instructed police authorities to ban any demonstration from far-right groups in the country. National rally lawmakers have criticized that the government employs the far-right label on some groups, while not calling anti-Fa or environmentalist activists far-left. Atal agrees with this point. TO DESIGNATE JUST THE FAR RIGHT IS NOT VERY FAIR.
11: WE KNOW VERY WELL that, THAT, FOR EXAMPLE, IN ALL THE DEMONSTRATIONS TODAY, YOU HAVE THE FAR LEFT THAT BREAKS, THAT LOOTS, THAT ASSAULTS, THAT EVEN tries TO KILL POLICEMEN. So, at the legislative level, it's not possible for the law to name only the far right or the far left. This is the law. It's for everyone.
10: Protest bans have multiplied over the past weeks as some people participate in spontaneous demonstration. This was the case for the so-called casserolade protest, bashing pots and pans to drone out public officials, which were all banned in Paris, based on anti-terrorist legislation. Experts call this a legal abuse. A lawyer union successfully asked a Paris prosecutor to put an end to the ban. Attal says government bans also extend to others' areas. I find that
11: authorities abuse their powers. As a small example, I once asked, with other police officers, for a permit to demonstrate because a policewoman had committed suicide, and we felt that it was her superiors who were guilty there. Guess what? The Paris police authority at the time refused the demonstration. You see, so there are real problems. I'm rather worried because we should be governed by laws, and the government should not decide whether a demonstration is allowed or based on the opinion of its opponents. The only question to ask is whether it's legal or not. David Vives,
10: NTD News, Paris.
0: Turning to artificial intelligence, Europe could soon have rules regulating the new tech. It's been two years in the making. EU lawmakers took a recent vote.
11: European lawmakers came a step closer to passing new rules regulating artificial intelligence tools, such as ChatGPT. following a crunch vote on Thursday. A European Parliament committee voted to strengthen the flagship legislative proposal as it heads toward passage. After two years of efforts by Brussels, the EU's highly anticipated AI Act looks set to be the world's first comprehensive legislation governing the technology. New rules will tackle the use of facial recognition, biometric surveillance, and other AI applications.
9: One of the reasons why I think the time is 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 really now to do this is because we really need guardrails for the quality of the models because they are rolled out large scale so many businesses but also users will start using them Um, and anything in any problems in the quality of the models or the training data will trickle down into
0: all the downstream users
11: under the plans ai tools will be classified according to their perceived level of risk from low to unacceptable riskier applications will face tougher requirements including being more transparent and using accurate data One of the EU's main goals is to guard against any AI threats to health and safety and protect fundamental rights and values. Lawmakers agreed to ban predictive policing tools, which crunch data to forecast where crimes will happen and who will commit them. They also approved a widened ban on remote facial recognition, save for a few law enforcement exceptions like preventing a specific terrorist threat. The technology scans passers-by and uses AI to match their faces to a database. Violations will draw fines of up to £25 million, or 6% of a company's annual global revenue. In the case of tech companies like Google and Microsoft, such a fine could amount to billions. The regulations now head into negotiations between the 27 member countries, Parliament and the EU Commission. The European Parliament will then vote on the final bill in summer.
0: A British skincare manufacturer saw its revenue and profits jump by 40% since trying out a four-day work week. Staff will get paid for five days still, and some hope the idea might help jumpstart productivity.
11: No chatting, no messaging. Apart from the whirring machinery, there is silence. This is deep work time at British skincare manufacturer Five Squirrels. Since June, staff at the company have worked four days a week, but still get paid for five.
5: Everyone was pounding through their work from Monday to Thursday to make sure that Friday was definitely going to happen.
11: Company owner Gary Conroy says since the switch, revenue and profits increased by 40%. It was micromanaging
12: ourselves for a long period of time to get to that, the nub of what our current productivity was in
10: a five-day week. And we thought, well, if we can maintain that in a four-day week, then we're okay. But actually what we saw was that actually people were smashing through their targets and they were getting much,
11: much higher He says this was due to staff making less mistakes and that now they rarely get complaints from customers or returns. People are focused, um, they're less tired, they're more
12: fresh. You know, they want to get the job done quickly and they want to go home on a Thursday and have three days to themselves.
11: An economist at Oxford University said people in Denmark and the Netherlands work on average about 1,400 hours a year, while Americans work closer to 1,800 hours a year.
3: Um, that probably helps explain why the Danes, the Finns, the, the Dutch do a bit better in the World of Happiness Report, for one, but from a more productivity angle, which my own research speaks to, um, they also do more better in terms of um, productivity on an hour-to-hour basis. So while they're working, quite a bit less as compared to their UK and US counterparts.
11: Last year, Five Squirrels was one of 61 UK-based companies to take part in the world's biggest trial of a four-day week. 56 of them have stuck with the policy. The vast majority said overall productivity and performance were maintained, although in some companies staff need to work longer hours on the four working days. Most of the companies taking part in the trial were smaller companies with under 25 people. A consultant said smaller companies might find it easier to switch to a new dynamic.
1: And in a group of 10 or 20, there's much more sort of visibility among your peers about who's delivering on what and sort of understanding, you know, are are people pulling their weight and much less of the risk of the free rider problems.
11: So far, larger companies have been more skeptical about the idea.
0: The British University of Oxford will remove the Sackler name from its buildings and staff posts following review into its ties with the family. A number of institutions have already ended their relationships with the Sackler family in recent years due to links with the opioid crisis. The Sackler Library in Oxford is one of those to be renamed following the review. The university said in a statement, donations received from the Sackler family and their trusts will be retained for their intended educational purposes and that no new donations have been received from them since January 2019. The Sackler family fully supports the review outcomes. Other institutions, such as the British Museum in London and the Louvre Museum in Paris, have also cut ties with the Sackler family in recent years. Italian police seized almost 3,000 kilograms of drugs hidden in boxes of bananas. The boxes contained packs of highly pure cocaine sitting alongside the fruit. The boxes were stacked inside two refrigerated, 40-foot-long shipping containers. Italian authorities say the drugs were worth more than $870 million. Scanners and a sniffer dog named Joel helped authorities discover the drugs. The shipment arrived in Calabria in southern Italy from Ecuador, and its final destination was Armenia. Police say they had found a further 600 kilograms of cocaine in the last few days in fruit containers from Ecuador, arriving at the same Italian port. That shipment was destined for other parts of Italy, Croatia, Greece, and Georgia. Calabria is home to Italy's most powerful mafia organization and plays a central role in the drug trade. Still to come, a town in the Spanish region of Catalonia braces for another difficult summer. Severe drought forces authorities to impose stringent measures to conserve water. A young Australian finds hope in life after he starts recycling Melbourne's food waste on his bike. Stay tuned for that story when we come back. Good to have you back with us. We're continuing in a Spanish town where residents are bracing for another difficult summer. Locals endured 16-hour water cuts last year when aquifers ran dry. Now swimming pools are adding to the controversy. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the latest.
12: In Vacarices, Catalonia, locals are not allowed to refill empty pools. Mayor Antony Massana called it a necessary measure. He added that the town had worked to drill new wells amid a drought. Some say pools are a scapegoat for a lack of coherent water policy in Spain. The model was created
6: by the Franco regime and the post Franco regime, which without urban planning laws allow there to be neighborhoods that grew a lot. All these neighborhoods were legalized and are legalized, but of course
12: they have the house model of a house with swimming pool, garden. The town has gained regional notoriety for its number of pools. The town of 7,000 has more than 1,500 registered pools. That's one for every five residents. But severe drought is forcing authorities to impose stringent measures to conserve water. For me, the challenge is how to adapt this model to today's needs. The model's
6: already there, we can't change it. How is this model more sustainable? Well, with a pool, always keep the water in the pool, using thermal covers so that the water evaporates less.
12: Catalonia is one of the most parched regions in Spain. Some reservoirs are at just 7% of their capacity. Local resident Antonia Leon-Garcia says the townspeople are unfairly stigmatized.
8: When you go shopping in the supermarket or in Terrassa, people say to you, oh, yes, you live where there are 30,000 swimming pools, right? It's a silly stigma that's gone round. But if you are here, you are in the countryside.
12: The bulk of Spain's water resources go toward agriculture. Analysts estimate that the industry accounts for 70% of water usage. For Garcia, money for her pool is going down the drain.
8: Oh no, no, I'm not going to fill it. I'm going to remove it. Why? Because first, we don't have kids. Second, because now I'm paying for a pool that I don't use, that I won't fill, and I have been paying for for seven years.
12: In Catalonia, local mayors successfully petitioned for public pools to be exempt from the restrictions. They argued the pools are an important reprieve during sweltering summers. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A program to collect food waste is giving a young Australian purpose in life. He's helping to recycle huge amounts of waste created by Melbourne's catering industry.
7: Smo Blow didn't finish school and couldn't find steady work until he joined Good Cycles. The food waste he collects is turned into compost and used in parks and gardens around the
10: city. This job has given me purpose and a reason to wake up in the morning. I just didn't believe in myself, you know, I just looked down on myself.
7: Mark Little is one of the managers for the program. He says the benefits for participants extend beyond collecting
12: food scraps. We give people jobs, and then we uh, help them to become better at having a job, learning all the things that you need to be able to have a job, and then we help them to go on to get jobs elsewhere.
7: Melbourne needs the help that Good Cycles provides. The city's mayor says there is a huge amount of food waste.
4: We have uh, some of the highest levels of FOGO waste of any place in Australia. And that makes sense because we've got one of the biggest hospitality and dining sectors in Australia.
7: So what's Blow's next move? He plans to build on his success here and become an electrician, also known as a Sparky.
10: I'm looking into studying to become a Sparky, so I'll be hopefully studying and uh, doing this job. Yeah, it feels good, man. Yeah, it feels good.
7: Businesses have responded positively to the bikers collecting food waste, and the benefits to Blow's life continue to grow. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at NTD.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.